G'day mate, 40 here. So I saw a lot of people on the right side of the political spectrum sharing uh, academic article by economist John Lott trying to make the case for massive voter fraud in the 2020 election. And I didn't take it seriously. I said, John Lott is just not a credible source. He, he makes so many statistical errors. He, he lies. He, he's not a reasonable source. So to know a little bit about uh, John Lott, he used to use a sock puppet by the name of Mary Roche. Okay. So in response to a dispute surrounding some missing survey and part of his work, uh, Lott used a sock puppet by the name of Mary Roche to defend his works on Usenet and elsewhere. He finally admitted to the use of the persona. And uh, further accusations claim that John Lott praised himself while posing as one of his former students and that uh, Mary Roche was used to post a favorable review of one of his books, More Guns, Less Crime, on Amazon. So a little bit uh, dodgy uh, of a character. And now he's come out with a paper you know, alleging all sorts of voter fraud, and he's getting it, he's getting it published in an academic journal, a right-wing theoretical journal called Public Choice. And uh, I remember his paper had already been refuted by a couple of political scientists at Stanford at uh, the Hoover Institute, which is a right-wing institute. But uh, they wrote a few months ago, another focus of the Trump team's accusations was the process of absentee ballots in key states that Joe Biden narrowly won. Among other claims, they alleged that Fulton County, Georgia, and Allegheny County, Pennsylvania were major centers of voter fraud in the 2020 election. Most of these allegations relied upon hearsay affidavits or debunked videos purportedly showing videos stuffing ballots. But a paper posted in late December 2020 by John Lott claims to provide statistical evidence that irregularities in the absentee vote counting procedures in Fulton and Allegheny suppressed votes for Trump and bolstered Joe Biden's vote count. Lott examined precincts along the border of these counties, argued that he detected anomalous support for Biden in his absentee ballot share relative to his in-person share of ballots in Fulton and Allegheny, and his paper received immediate widespread attention. Peter Navarro, former assistant to Donald Trump, touted the claim as solid evidence of fraud, and President Trump tweeted out a link to the paper. Now, J John Lott's claims do not withstand scrutiny. Right, they're just an absolute mess, and I'll I'll include include links to this. Uh, now he's he's refined he's refined what he's doing, and uh, he's got a new paper coming out, and this has been shut down by these two Stanford academics, Andrew Eggers and Justin Grimmer. In an abstract, they write, uh, John Lott introduces simple tests of voter fraud and applies them to measure the extent of fraud in the 2020 election. Using these tests, John Locke claims to have discovered 10,000 extra votes for Joe Biden in Pennsylvania and Georgia. Public draft of this paper. Second claim is based on analysis that by its own logic would show larger fraud in favor of Donald Trump. The third depends upon selective reporting as John Lott shows insignificant results when differential trends in turnout across states are acknowledged. So John Lott's analysis is riddled with errors, fails to accurately report the research that was conducted. Several points the paper misstates the regression specification being used. 
a little bit like uh, David Irving. His his mistakes, they always go on one side when he's writing about World War II. His mistakes always end up in favor of uh, the Nazi perspective. All right, you're probably asking, 40, where are we as far as critical legal studies today? Where are we, 40? Which was a, this is uh, Stephen Turner. a basic text for the new left in the 60s, and that it was basically that tolerance, a nice liberal term, uh, is actually intolerance. It negates the possibility of re revolutionary truth and is just a form of intolerance. Um, so it, 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 it limits debate to the acceptable liberal viewpoints. And uh, um, so um, intolerance is, uh, tolerance is therefore a form of, uh, of oppression. And Kierkeimer's version of this uh, was, was uh, which he relentlessly pursued, was the idea that uh, there's no such thing as non-political justice. So the idea of pure justice versus uh, political justice was a, a non-starter. Now, this is uh, a basic Schmidtian uh, uh, thinking, and, uh, but it's in the form of uh, the left version of it. Uh, in in both of these cases, so this is very much part of the critical theory uh, tradition. But the basic idea that motiv that motivated political theory was the idea of false consciousness. So uh, the uh, that that was the explanation of uh, the failure of the proletariat to do what it was supposed to do, and um, uh, it was false consciousness which had lots of interesting implications. So the, it implied the idea that there were experts in possession of true consciousness and that this happened at the level of philosophy and the right philosophy was critical theory, which was now reconfigured as the science of false consciousness. Okay, so you guys are lucky. I have the true consciousness and those who disagree with me, you only have false consciousness. But I am here to enlighten you with the true consciousness to provide you with an opportunity to move past your false consciousness. Anyway, reading this terrific book published in 2003 by Professor Stephen Turner, Liberal Democracy 3.0, Civil Society in an Age of Experts. So there's a great beginning to this book. If we imagine a historian in the distant future, okay, so what, 500 years from now, 1,000 years from now, faced with the task of explaining in just a few lines the significance of the 20th century, specifically the task of identifying what remarkable and consequential transformations occurred within it. And Turner argues that two consequential changes would stand out. One is the development of science and technology. Okay, so for the first time in technical history, science and technology became closely linked. And the difference between the 20th century and previous centuries is stark. So earlier developments in technology were the work of craftsmen. Technologists even though the most advanced industries had little use for the scientifically trained. But by the end of the 20th century, academic science was becoming indistinguishable from commercial science, particularly in the most advanced research areas such as uh, biomedicine. Now, the status according to science grew steadily throughout the 20th century, particularly as a result of warfare. Notably, during the Second World War, you had all these advances in the field, such as rocketry, atomic science, radar that depended upon modern science. And in the case of the atomic bomb, Technology depended on theoretical science of the most esoteric and advanced kind of a kind that, you know, only one person in 
100,000 could understand. At the same time, you had all these tremendous advances in medicine. So penicillin completely transformed medical practice, binding it even more closely to science. So in 1940, chemists, the, the pharmacist, they still compounded their own products. That had been the practice for centuries. But by the end of the 20th century, we get all these expensive and exotic science-based drugs that are in daily use in their event. Oh, major political issue. So the notion of international justice itself seems to demand the universal availability of science-based pharmaceuticals as a basic human right. And that these rights override international law and patent treaties. Now, the second significant transformation in the 20th century began as an age of empires. Okay. And the European empires were largely run by parliamentary democracies with limited monarchies. But they were still largely controlled by an old regime of aristocrats and a civil service that came from a similar social strata. But by the end of the 20th century, crown princes and empires had ceased to have anything more than just merely ceremonial significance. So after a century, they began with a radical constitutional experimentation such as Bolshevism, fascism, and Nazism. Liberal democracies had, to a great extent, become the world's standard constitutional form. Now, our imaginary historian, looking back at our time from the perspective, say, of a thousand years hence, would see that the obvious question to ask would be these. What are the connections between these two developments? And what were the consequences for science and liberalism having their dramatic turns of fortune occur simultaneously? Damn, my audio in and out. So I read that uh, if there are audio problems, it's either one of three things. One, it's a matter of power. Please, please, I don't think it's a matter of power. It's a matter of bandwidth. It's not a matter of bandwidth. And then the third possibility is a matter of faulty cables. Doggone it. This is driving me crazy. I will, I will soldier on. Luke Ford is delusional, bro. Okay, so how do we have these developments of science and liberalism occurring simultaneously? So the historian, our imagined historian, would be astonished by the absence of any discussion of science in the major political philosophers of the 20th century. If she turned to such influential texts as the writings of the Frankfurt School, Imaginary historian would find nothing that attempted to make sense of the connection. She would just find various failing attempts. categories. Doggone it. Man. Now, if you turn to the key documents of American liberalism, something equally astonishing can be found. The greatest single work of liberal political philosophy of the late 20th century, John Rawls's A Theory of Justice, is utterly devoid of any mention of science. So the common perspective on politics is who gets what, when, and how. And so the normal understanding of politics, it's, it's all about justice and equitable distribution of resources. So the problems that concern practical politics are problems of race, gender, exclusion, problems that arise because of the existence of competing conceptions of equity, or competing conceptions of the common good or of the human good that must be struggled for and reconciled through political means and through the exercise of a state's coercive power. So science has only the most marginal relation
this domain of problems. Right? Science may have some role in increasing the quality and quantity of goods to be struggled for, but its relation to these questions of politics is no different than the relation of these questions to plumbing. Right? You, you often have heard that the gooseneck drain pipe did more to improve sanitation and consequently to lower mortality rates than all of the scientific discoveries of the 19th century combined. Right? Why did we manage to dramatically increase our lifespan over the past 150 years? Number one answer, gooseneck drain pipes. How about those drain pipes? Now, if you look at uh, a quality newspaper today, such as the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, or the Financial Times back in 2002, these are the type of questions that you would see discussed. A European Union standards for food imports from non-European Union countries, actually health standards with a basis in scientific fact, or are they reasonable judgments about risk, or are they covert devices? There is such a thing as global warming. What is the quality of the evidence for the cancer-producing dangers of cell phones, the new regimes of educational practice? Can a drug company's claims about the effectiveness of their treatments be believed? Should tobacco be regulated as a drug? Does mammography, taking radiation uh, pictures of a woman's chest, does that reduce mortality? And if not, should it really be subsidized? That arise over the assertions by experts. And if you look at the quality newspapers, you'll find dozens of similar examples. Right? We've got a new politics of expertise. Politics where expertise is at stake and in which the establishment of expertise, the judging of expertise, the assertion of expertise, the assertion of bias and conflicts of interest are central. So this new politics is politics, but it's not interest group politics of the traditional kind. So specialized technical discourse, right? Who is expert and what are the experts saying present a fundamental political problem for liberal democracy. And by liberal democracy, I mean government by discussion, in which discussion is intelligible and effectively subject to the political influence of the population generally through more or less effectively functioning representative forms. So in the face of expertise, something has to give either the idea of government by generally intelligent, intelligible discussion or the idea that there is a genuine knowledge that is known to a few but is not generally intelligible. So how can people of modest IQ participate in politics when politics revolves around questions of expertise? So writers such as John Rawls locate liberalism on universal principles, right? And there is a long tradition of universalism in liberalism, but liberalism is not inherently universalistic. Liberalism matches very nicely with nationalism, right? There's a strong, equally strong tradition of seeing liberal democracy as dependent on circumstances completely out. Oh, got it having a population that is high IQ, that is uh, reasonably self-disciplined, that is educated. Perhaps these are circumstances upon which liberal democracy depends, right? The, these conditions are not byproducts of liberal democracy. They even conflict with basic principles of liberal democracy. So threats from anti-liberal minorities, hostile outsiders, think of the West trying to, say, assimilate uh, Muslims who 
may not believe in liberal democracy or orthodox Jews who don't believe in liberal democracy. So the decisions made by liberal democracies have the effect of undermining the very conditions that make liberal democracy possible. So you could have a liberal democracy under certain circumstances, then you bring in a bunch of anti-liberal immigrants, liberal democracy is no longer possible. So this exposes the fragility of liberal democracy and the risk to its self-perpetuation. So if you bring in a bunch of immigrants who hate liberal democracy and are not interested in being part of the nation, but are only out for their own particular group and say, feel no compunction about cheating outsiders, right? The very existence of your liberal democracy is under threat. If you have a nation state that uh, generally shares universalist morality, that does not believe that there are different moral systems for one group as opposed to another, and then you import people who practice dual morality, who, who feel like, yeah, there's one moral standard of how I treat members of my in-group, but everyone else, it doesn't really matter how I treat them, or there are just lower standards for how I treat outsiders. There are different moral codes for, for different groups. That's going to undermine the ability of a liberal democracy to function. So basic basics of liberalism, such as the rule of law and tolerance, may be undermined by the, the importation of those hostile to these values. So these problems of liberalism provide a better framework for a serious discussion of expertise and science. So the problems of liberalism excite the most discussion within liberal political theory. They usually arise over multiculturalism and the creedal character of liberalism. So liberalism is tolerant, then how does it deal with intolerance? To what extent can liberal regimes tolerate enemies within, such as parties that reject the liberal rules of the game and the conventions of discussion that make liberal democracies work? When liberal regimes are faced with external enemies of these conventions, for example, the fatwa against Salman Rushdie, what are the limits of tolerance and the limits of liberalism? Right? What kind of limitation to discussion is appropriate? Is liberalism a fighting creed which needs to affirm its creedal character and dispense with its universalist pretensions? So when liberalism is doing battle with Nazism and communism and imperial Japan, does uh, liberalism need to modify its liberalism so as to win these battles. And uh, now you've got uh, the Western liberal democracies uh, struggling with Islamic fundamentalism. So in 1956, there was a sociologist, Edward Schills, who published a classic work, The Torment of Secrecy. Right? So every government has detailed measures governing secrecy. It has things to talk about which cannot be made public. It would render the state incredibly vulnerable if some secrets were made public. But if people in authority use their legal powers given to them to classify as secret things that ought to be part of a genuine government by discussion, then public discourse becomes a sham. For all that is discussed is that which government secret keepers permit to be discussed. So there are clear parallels here with expertise. Experts are needed by liberal democracy, but only experts understand what they are talking about and what is a matter of expert knowledge to allow them to decide what belongs in the expert domain means that the experts might place topics that should be subject to public discussion in the domain of expert knowledge. And if you're just a regular Joe, 
you're not going to really understand. So your opinion is not going to matter much. Now, liberalism, liberal democracies, as, as we know them, essentially emerged in the West out of the religious wars of the 16th and 17th centuries, in particular the 30-year war in Germany. So liberalism arose by taking one huge area of life, religion, and neutralizing it. So you hear, hear Carl Schmitt talking about uh, the age of neutralizations, that uh, more and more of life is being taken outside the realm of the political and essentially neutralized, just as liberal democracies have done with religions. So liberalism in its modern form arose out of the wars of religion that racked Europe in the 17th century. And one issue was the relationship between religion and the state. What should state policy be in relation to religious minorities, people whose religion was different from and offensive to the religion of the rulers? So these 17th century European wars demonstrated that religious controversy and religious diversity were disruptive to the state, that they threatened social peace and led to civil war. Now, Carl Schmitt would argue that you can't have a liberal democracy without homogeneity, that you can't afford a, a diversity of religions. So religious differences were of a kind of discussion that did little to resolve, Right. Discussion did not resolve religious differences. Discussion inflamed them. So you had a whole variety of political solutions to the problem of religion that are invented by rulers and governments to effectively eliminate the problem of religion setting people at each other's throats. And the main response was for the state to disengage from actively supporting one religion or enforcing religious practice. So one response was for the state to constitutionally tie its own hands to refuse to be involved in religious questions and to firmly move them to the private sphere. So this is the American Constitution, the First Amendment in the Constitution. We've got a rule binding Congress not to make any laws that serve to establish religion. And my favorite uh, example of this is in Dialectic of Enlightenment, where he um, uh, gives the movie stars Mickey Rooney and Victor Mature, who was one of these uh, beefy um, 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 uh, strongman types as uh, an example of the thing that was holding every, everybody back, the, the kind of popular culture that was a distraction from the revolutionary cause, and also in these psychosexual uh, uh, repressive causes. Okay, so the false consciousness was the big story at the time. Um, but at the same time, uh, there's a, a parallel tradition, which actually then, then becomes much uh, dominant today in the U.S., so the, there are many versions of this story, that the, and this is really the story that gets to uh, Black Lives Matter and critical race theory. But uh, the standard story is that it comes out of critical legal studies. And this uh, group also purported to be inspired by critical theory, and it had, but its basic idea was Schmidian, that there's no such thing as legal neutrality, that uh, law is policy, and that judges and lawyers are policymakers, and the idea of applying the law and the rule of law is really for second-rate lawyers. And this is the way it was taught at the Harvard Law School. And so the, the corollary of this was that the elite understands it should understand its role as uh, um, policymakers and that the elite of law are the sources of uh, social justice. So it doesn't matter what is democratically agreed to or what the law itself says. There's enough flexibility in the law to pursue uh, this, uh, the, the correct view of, uh, of uh, social justice. Now, this gets amplified uh, into uh, it's already a critique of liberalism. So it's a critique of legalistic liberalism. Okay, we'll get back to Stephen Turner there on critical legal theory. 
Let's have a look at the chat. Angus says deviations in IQ between uh, groups can cause incredible social upheaval because it determines an unequal equality of outcome. When you factor in basic in-group, out-group dynamics, it is a toxic combination. Most Westerners know they can accommodate Orthodox Jews because Orthodox Jews keep to themselves. Muslims do not necessarily keep to themselves and maybe more... His, his point is they may be more aggressive about uh, imposing their way upon others. And this would depend very much on which which uh, Muslims you're talking about. So Muslims from South Asia don't tend to be particularly aggressive about imposing their way upon others. Orthodox Jews tend to be nonviolent like the Amish in the West. That's true. They don't tend to stir up trouble in Western lands. Luke, what are your predictions regarding the Amish and older Order Mennonites. They have comparable birth rates to sedum and are spread out and growing across North and South America. I, I, I think there are going to be limits on their growth, that uh, modernity is going to take its toll on the Amish and the Mennonites, just as it has on Jews, Judaism, Orthodox Judaism. So out of all the major world religions, I think uh, Judaism has had the hardest time handling morality, has had, had the biggest drop-off into secularism out of any of the major religion. Uh, John notes, I noticed that the excitement on this show left when Luke stopped drinking orange flavor crystal light during the shows. I want to see Luke play the didgeridoo. That that beverage just added a spark to Luke's voice. <laughs> yeah, look at Duva. Duva doesn't stir up any trouble for anyone. So I'm reading this terrific book by Professor Stephen Turner, Liberal Democracy 3.0, Civil Society in an Age of Experts. So is the expertise that we have today that goes into the administration of the administrative state, is this ever genuinely neutral or is it instrumental? Right? If it's not genuinely neutral, but it represents itself as genuinely neutral, then its relation to liberal democracy is a problem. So you can see that liberalism rests on an illusion that conceals its political character and significance. So much of what liberalism does to try to forestall people going for each other's throats is to try to render uh, more of society supposedly neutral. So expertise, however, is a kind of violation of the conditions of rough equality presupposed by democratic accountability. So some activities such as genetic engineering seem to be out of the reach of democratic control. Even when these activities, because of their dangerous character, or perhaps to be subject to public scrutiny and regulation, precisely because of imbalances in knowledge. So genetic engineering or medical research may well have given us COVID, right? COVID may well be the result of a lab leak, and people, generally speaking, have not had sufficient knowledge on what are, what are proper safety standards for you know, this type of medical research and so we may well have had the experts unleashing a pandemic upon us. And they then told us to survive the pandemic, we need to do X, Y, Z, which politicians and law enforcement then instituted. So we are faced with capitulation to rule by experts, which is generally speaking in America, the Democratic Party or the left of center perspective. And then the right of center perspective is we need democratic rule that is populist, that, that valorizes the wisdom of the people, even when the people are ignorant and operate on the basis of fear and rumor. So then we have a, another problem. If the liberal state is supposed to be neutral, 
with respect to opinions that it neither promotes nor gives special regard to any particular beliefs, worldview, sectarian positions. Well, what about expert opinions? What about the experts on COVID? Do they enjoy a special status that these things lack? If not, why should the state give them special consideration? For example, through the subsidization of science by treating expert opinions about environmental damage differently from the way it treats the opinions of landowners or polluters. So why was there one class of experts who we listened to during COVID and say, not the will of the people, right? In, in a liberal democracy, shouldn't we be listening to the will of the people? Now, uh, on the right, we, we have a, a rejection of a state, state neutrality because on the right in America, we've got things like creation science and uh, what is scientific about creation science. And so the, the left and the secularists see creation science as just something completely ridiculous and a violation of state neutrality. Then from the left-wing perspective, scientific research on the genetic background of criminals is racist and government agencies have been intimidated into withdrawing support. So studies of race and intelligence have been attacked as inherently racist. That just doing this kind of research is inherently non-neutral. So you had a letter writer to Newsweek in 1994 wrote the theories of intelligence, the test to measure it, and the social structures in which its predictions come true are all developed and controlled by well-off white males for their own benefit. So this is a very common idea which dominates the, the news media and certain segment of academia, right? This is basically a matter of consensus in some academic fields while it's treated as absurd in other fields such as psychometrics. Now, the idea that science itself with its mania for quantification, for prediction, and for control is merely an intellectual manifestation of racism and sexism, that it is not neutral, this perspective is widespread on the left and widespread on much of academia. So if the liberal state is supposed to be ideologically neutral, how is it to decide what is and is not ideology is distinct from knowledge. And this gets ramped up by feminist jurisprudence. And this is the, uh, uh, I think the most important uh, actual turn in this uh, long history uh, because it's so influential. And it's basically a, a comprehensive critique of liberalism. Uh, liberal morality uh, is a kind of uh, gendered expression of a male point of view. And uh, it's really all about the status of women. So what appears to be neutral, what appears to be objective is neither. And uh, we always have to ask the question, uh, from which point of view, uh, who's law and order? Uh, what are we allowed to experience? And uh, even our experience is constructed from, uh, even our female experience is overwhelmingly constructed from a male point of view, which means that here again, there are experts in suffering who are uh, superior to the people who are actually suffering because they're suffering from false consciousness. Um, okay, so critical race theory, uh, is definitely influenced by this, but it, it it's, tells its own story of being based on critical legal uh, studies and initially had a focus on law. And the basic uh, argument was always that um, it is a, a form of oppression and oppression means anything that produces a difference that favors the dominant group. So it just substituted blacks for women, whites for male, and uh, uh, you get critical race theory. So, uh, but what was even more extensive about this uh, uh, critical race theory is the list of topics which were supposed to be uh, moved from the category of neutral to uh, um, non-neutral. And now it's at the stage of talking about mathematics as being an oppressive ideology for uh, uh, harming black people. Um, and in addition to this was intersectionality. So the idea that uh, um, this is a matter of perspectives, 
gets turned into the idea that there are multiple categories, all of which have different perspectives. Each of each perspective has its own intellectual consciousness that corresponds to each of these uh, perspectives. So, um, intermittently losing the internet here. I hope you got him. Oh, that crystal so, light is so good. You add false consciousness to anti neutral. Nothing like the old didgeridoo. I, I, I like that. Did you catch uh, Stephen talking about how we now we now have experts in suffering? They really understand what suffering is. All right. So people are actually suffering. They don't really know what suffering is. Dominant group. So it just substituted blacks for women, whites for male, and uh, uh, you get critical race theory. So, uh, but what was even more extensive about this? Uh, uh, critical race theory is the list of topics which were supposed to be uh, moved from the category of neutral to uh, um, non-neutral. And now it's at the stage of talking about mathematics as being an oppressive ideology for uh, uh, harming black people. Um, and in addition to this was intersectionality. So the idea that the, um, this is a matter of perspectives gets turned into the idea that there are multiple categories, all of which have different perspectives. Each of each perspective has its own intellectual consciousness that corresponds yeah and they're even experts these, for suffering uh, uh, so people who really know what suffering so, is um intermittently losing the internet here i hope you got had me so by if you add false consciousness to anti-neutrality which is really just anti-liberalism um you get the following that the victims of oppression are additionally oppressed by false beliefs and liberal neutrality the overcoming of these beliefs depends on education education depends not on distorted actual experience, but on experts. So consciousness raising, coercive educational methods and so forth are needed to produce the correct expert derived form of consciousness. Oh, that is awesome, right? Ordinary people suffering, they, they really don't understand why they're suffering. They need experts to explain what suffering is all about. Thank you so much, anonymous professor. $20 super chat to bring back the didgeridoo and the orange crystal light, classic, the classic orange. Yeah, I think we can generate 30 people in the chat with just our minds. <laughs> Dogecoin to the moon. Our minds combined with the orange flavor crystal light will generate enough esoteric energy to go out into the interview, <laughs> into the universe, and, and draw people in. So, yeah. Wow, I, I feel so energized with a little uh, didgeridoo blowing and uh, some classic crystal light orange. Very good stuff. Okay, so uh, on the one hand, you've got uh, much of academia who says that uh, any quantification, any study that different groups might have different different levels of IQ, that's just inherently racist, that uh, ipso facto, any differences between groups are the product of evil white men. And then on the other hand, you have people who actually study the psychometrics and uh, they they wrote a joint letter, I believe, to the the Wall Street Journal, uh, saying that uh, intelligence is real. <laughs> right. So claims about the nature of intelligence, to which the letter writer to Newsweek objected, curiously produced a similar kind of collective letter signed by all these psychometricians. People actually know what they're talking about with regard to group differences in cognitive power. All these psychologists psychometricians, so they were statistically oriented uh, psychologists in the field of human performance, and particularly with regard to cognitive science. And so they wrote a joint letter to the Wall Street Journal to correct what they saw to be the alarming disparity between what was presented by journalists 
and commentators as the accepted findings of psychological research on intelligence, what psychologists in fact accepted, namely that there were persistent differences in scores between different groups. So here the issues were different. The accepted facts, simply not known to the journalists who seem to assume that the facts fit with their prejudices. Not so much. So how do we decide what information is ideologically neutral and uh, which is tainted? So if experts are the source of our knowledge, and this knowledge is not essentially superior to unaided public opinion, then the public is not merely less competent than the experts, but is more or less under the cultural intellectual control of the experts. So this would mean that liberalism is a sham concealing an anti-democratic reality. So once again, to summarize, liberalism is the product of the lessons learned from the 17th century religious wars in Europe. And the way that uh, liberal democracy developed from there was to try to neutralize controversial topics such as religion. Now, Carl Schmitt argued that parliamentary democracy depends on the possibility of persuading one's argument, opponents through the argument of the truth or justice or something, and to allow oneself to be persuaded of something as true or just. Now, without some such appeal, if opinions were not amenable to change through discussion and persuasion, that uh, all this phony discussion was simply a form of negotiation of compromises between pre-established interests, then parliamentary institutions would simply be meaningless shells. So Carl Schmitt saw Weimar-era parliamentary politics as an assumption of parliamentarianism that was no longer true in reality. The, the parties of Weimar politics were not mere interest parties, they were totalizing parties that construed the world ideologically, that ordered the life experiences and social life of their members, and rejected worldviews and arguments of other parties. So Carl Schmitt believed that the former historical domain of parliamentary discussion in which genuine argument was possible had simply vanished, and that the world of totalitarianism, the rule of totalizing parties, had begun. Now, he didn't argue that the whole idea of liberal democracy and of liberal representation was wrong in principle. He s said that uh, it simply was not true at that time. Now, there is an argument, an intellectual argument, about liberal representation. That comes from the famous Duke English literature professor Stanley Fish, who said that he wouldn't read poetry if he wasn't paid to do it. Now, Stanley Fish claimed that liberalism is informed by a faith in reason as a faculty that operates independently of any particular worldview. And Stanley Fish denied this could be anything more than a faith, a creed, and concludes that this means that liberalism does not exist. So this is an argument for undoing the central achievement of the modern state and unlearning the lessons of the wars of religion. Taken as fact, the idea of liberal parliamentary discussion is intellectually at least a sham. So the factual claims that determine the direction of parliamentary discussion are exposed as ideological. So we are left with a picture of modern democratic regimes as shams with a public whose culture and life world is controlled or steered by experts, whose actions are beyond public comprehension, whose decrees, such as think about all the COVID restrictions, for many people these restrictions were beyond their comprehension. And we now have an administrative state largely run by experts, and the decisions of the administrative state are beyond intelligent public discussion. But 
the expertise underlying it all may be nothing but ideology made more powerful by virtue of the fact that its character is concealed as neutralized expertise rather than ideology. So Thomas Hobbes essentially argues that authority, not truth, makes the law. And so we are told that the truth is making the law, that we have to follow the science with regard to COVID restrictions in particular. But uh, Thomas Hobbes and Carl Schmitt would tell you it's not truth that is making the law here, it is authority. And authority means the effective power to make and enforce decisions. Now let's get a little bit more from Stephen Turner here on critical legal theories. Um, so the, the core to this, though, in, in its ideal form, is solidarity versus neutrality. And this is really, uh, um, in the terms of uh, Michael Oakeshott, it's, it's the difference between a rule-oriented and a goal-oriented um, uh, society. And when you look at this literature, it's, it's very divisive identity politics, but it always holds out in some vague way the idea of genuine solidarity that would somehow emerge after uh, this work of criticism is uh, uh, fulfilled in uh, uh, politics. But what it doesn't uh, point to is a new set of neutral rules. Neutrality is uh, uh, an impossibility from the point of view of um, um, this account. So the, uh, you can think of politics as being about either solidarity or about rules. And so this puts all of the emphasis on the solidarity part. And uh, so when we when we read in, in commonplace literature and social sciences that uh, social science needs to be emancipatory, um, there isn't a particular coherent concept of emancipation there, but there is this kind of goal of uh, rising to the level of some higher, uh, far in the future uh, solidarity, uh, and that this is an alternative to the rule-bound neutrality of the liberal order. So this means the use of uh, um, direct means by the state, not the indirect means of liberalism, which uh, uh, channel people's uh, energy. So, so think about all the constitutional scholars who come on and opine. Are they truly neutral? And uh, the chat says, Luke spends way too much time reading and thinking. What has it gotten him? He ought to have been fornicating. Words are not enough in life. And Angus notes, uh, ideology determines which research is highlighted. Democracy is broken because higher IQ populations don't want to yoke their destiny to a low IQ majority. Why give the low IQ majority that sort of power over you? So end democracy. If some knowledge makes people feel bad, then it is not knowledge. The Australian government caters to the lowest IQ of one particular group, so much that by law their superstitions have to be catered to. That's pathetic. Yeah, so when you watch uh, TV programs in Australia, particularly by the public broadcaster ABC, they uh, they say this, this program has contains depictions of dead people. You can't point a stick at uh, Aboriginal Australians in Australia because uh, that that is uh, that that violates their understanding of how the world works should work. Yes, they won't mention the name of Aborigines. What do they say? In, indigenous, indigenous Australians. Okay. Uh, what kind of ideology is this? It's not very coherent as an ideology. It's not really meant to be, but it definitely makes sense as a friend-enemy grouping. So uh, we got a very bizarre set of, uh, of friends and enemies here, people who don't particularly agree with one another, but nevertheless uh, are on the alternative sides of uh, the oppression paradigm. And uh, this gets this is pretty coherent. 
um, that idea of oppression is pretty coherent. So, but we're still, uh, we still have a problem that um, uh, different perspectives have different ideas of what the oppression is, the perspectives are in conflict, uh, the goal is emancipation without a new form of oppression, and uh, um, a nonviolent solution would be something neutral and uh, like uh, a rule-governed democracy. But neutrality is itself oppressive, uh, and uh, so what we need is something else. That's why solidarity in some new form, terms like exclusion come in, uh, becomes the uh, solution. So you have to add, ask whether this is, in fact, uh, something that will add up to something. The liberal answer is no, that um, uh, moral ideals, once they turn into uh, political um, um, realities like laws, uh, get uh, turned into something that is going to sanction somebody. And uh, uh, it, it not only doesn't provide the solution to the problem of different conceptions of justice, uh, it um, makes it worse. And that the best solution, the best liberal solution is democratic majoritarianism with protection for minorities. That's the liberal answer. The left answer is, yes, it is coherent uh, that the remaining part of the old teleology of, of socialism, of the march to universal solidarity and the replacement of politics with the administration of things is still possible, but it's out there in the distant future. Uh, so that's, uh, that's my version of where we are and why we're there. Thank you very much. Hey, that was uh, Professor Stephen Turner. Back to his terrific 2003 book, Liberal Democracy 3.0, Civil Society in an Age of Experts. So he mentions Richard Posner, the libertarian judge, who gives the example of United States constitutional law scholars. So this is a group that both speaks to a general audience and also serves or seeks to serve as experts for the judges who apply the Constitution and the lawyers who argue cases on constitutional grounds. So constitutional law scholars play a role in assessing the qualifications of judges in the public domain, and their opinions are widely reported and often consequential. So when you have... Supreme Court nominees or, or other nominees, they are judged by constitutional law scholars. Well, are American constitutional law scholars neutral? Are they politically neutral when the the bar gives gives a rating on a on a judge? Are they political is is the, the the bar neutral? Right? The, the opinions they give are opinions about the law, which presumably is just a technical matter. But when you look at what they do, if you look at the areas in which they are supposed to be professionally expert and neutral, they routinely present a highly partisan left-wing interpretation of relevant law. Right, so many of the crucial cases of present-day constitutional law arise from the details of the administration of left-wing programs enacted into law or federal procedures, such as affirmative action programs. Right rather than cases involving the responsibilities of corporations, which was a theme of earlier constitutional law. So we've got this left-wing drift of academic constitutional law. The discussion of academic constitutional law includes few conservative scholars. This would seem to be grounds for questioning the neutrality of particular scholars in the face of questions that are open to alternative plausible answers, and the neutrality of a consensus on such questions produced by academic discussion. So... Uh, think about uh, Bush versus Gore, that uh, legal dispute at near the end of the year 2000, right? There are very few conservative scholars in the field. They are absent from public discussion because most of the conservatives who are critical of judicial activism on the grounds of their own academic original intent theories of constitutional interpretation were consequently unlikely to defend a U.S. Supreme Court decision that required an activist rationale. 
So constitutional scholars in America routinely make claims that amount to a political act masquerading as a statement of professional expertise. And so the non-expert is vulnerable, right? These people say that they're just uh, experts and that they're neutral, but it turns out that they are highly partisan and left-wing. So the liberalism of the American founding tended to regard the truths relevant to politics as immutable and self-evident, regarded them as neutral facts, all men are created equal, you know, all men are endowed by their creator with the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I don't think many of us would uh, believe that anymore. Then, have you heard of Gunnar Modal? He was a Swedish economist who published a hugely influential book in 1944 called American Dilemma, the Negro Problem and Modern Democracy, right? It was a, a classic of social science expertise. And the book was made possible by lavish funding by the Carnegie Corporation, which conceived the project, paid the researchers whose specialist reports were then given to Modal to write the text. And the promotion of the book was subsidized by the Carnegie Corporation. All this was concealed. Gunnar Modal was chosen because he was not an American and therefore could not be immediately dismissed as non-neutral, either as a northerner or a southerner. Now, the aims of the funders were not neutral. They were well hidden and uh, left wing. Well, think about how does one man, Bill Gates, essentially dominate American educational policy? He essentially buys up all the experts, but uh, it's presented to us as as just something that's that's neutral and we need to listen to the experts. To treat experts as authorities essentially requires us in an act of faith to believe that they possess some special cognitive powers analogous to those of charismatic religious leaders speaking prophetically of religious truths. Right? In the case of the prophets, the, the reason is the reasoning is hidden because it is God's reasoning. The prophets simply pass on God's commands. In the case of science, it is hidden because it is meaningful only to scientists. And similarly, scientists report the results, not the grounds for the results. So the results are accepted as the sayings of the prophets are, as a matter of faith in the powers of the scientists and the experts, not as a result of the reasoning that led to the results, which is not accessible because it is not understandable. So during the 1980s, the evidence of risk of contracting HIV from ordinary heterosexual intercourse in the general United States population was always clear both to epidemiologists and to healthcare professionals with substantial experience with AIDS cases. The risk level was negligible by contrast to the high risk level to certain homosexual practices and IV drug use. But the fear of political pressure from AIDS activists and the desire of AIDS activists to prevent AIDS from being treated merely as a disease of homosexuals and IV drug users led the Center for Disease Control, the CDC in the United States, to endorse propaganda about AIDS and about the possibility of contracting AIDS from heterosexual contact contact that was highly misleading. And what's striking about this case is not simply the respected institution would lie, but that it would lie for the higher purpose of preserving the appearance of neutrality. So we similarly had all sorts of uh, CDC lies about the importance of getting a flu shot when there were all these flu shots that weren't getting used. And so the CDC came out with these ridiculous numbers of, what, uh, you know, 40,000 to you know, 90,000 people supposedly die from the flu during a, a typical flu season. But do you know anyone who actually died of the flu? Can you name a celebrity who, who died of the flu? Not so much. 
Right here, a couple of our leading political thinkers. I think, and I'm trying to find that balance, and you know, that's that's what it is. And I'll still do videos where I film myself with a, you know a cell phone and shit like that. Thank God. Um, Thank God. But yeah. Awesome. All right. For saying stuff like you know, wholesome relationship and. Oh, your wife would be your best friend and all this kind and of stuff. And by the way, what, what we're doing right now, by the way, is something that Nick could never do. Be real for a second. Be logical. Be self-reflective. That's what makes us different. We could be jokers and crazy and fucking say crazy shit and be... And at a certain point, we could stop and go like, hey, okay, you want me to be real for a second? Fine, I'll be real for a second. With him, imagine trying to ask him these certain questions, like these same questions that we've been answering, but to him. It'd be like this meme answers of Intel and being an in And that's what like makes him a joker. The fact that he can't just stop being funny for a second or being whatever the fuck this is, whatever this is for a second. That's what makes us different, right? Oh, shut up. I hold men like this in such low regard. It's embarrassing. Frankly, it's embarrassing. I would be embarrassed if I were talking like that. The only guy who understands this, I feel like, is Andrew Anglin. Andrew Anglin is so aggressive. That's why he's one of my favorite writers. Because he, every time I feel like, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm weird. Maybe I, because I am. I'm an eccentric, weird guy, you know? Um, I'm, I just am. So I always have to check that. And it's like, well, is it me or is it everyone else? And then I read Andrew Anglin, and I'm like, okay, I'm not alone. Someone else gets it. Someone else is picking up what I'm putting down, you know? Or rather, I guess they, you know, he just gets it on his own, you know? Ben says, I was scrolling through the comments on a TikTok about you and some female liberal said, wow, Nick's cult of personality is so scary. And all I could think was, you're damn right, sweetie. You're damn right it is. Yeah, I love when people say that. People always say that like it's a dig. They're like, Nick Fuentes and his cult of groipers. It's like, yeah, what about it, bitch? Our cult is going to take over America. Oh. And guess what? It's going to be better for the people in the cult than outside the cult. I'm just going to give you a newsflash. You're going to want to be in the cult when we take over the cult. I'm just going to say that, right? Yeah. And who I would mean, not want to be in the like, cult? Like, first of all, the optics of saying that you're a cult and that you're going to take over America and punish people who aren't in the cult, like, is completely insane and fucked up. But the idea that Nick Fuentes and the Groypers are actually going to take over America is completely delusional. If somebody like me and somebody like Andy, who, let's be real, we're not the best in the world at this. We're not the smartest. We don't have the highest production values. We don't have the most money. We're two guys who honestly aren't in the best positions in our lives, for yeah, real. True. But we're still able to embarrass and make Nick look foolish. I think total hegemony of the american state the federal agents <laughs> the apparatus of the state the media hollywood everything crashing down upon this young mexican boy and he's gonna take over america Real. you know and it's and it's the writings on the wall and the greatest example would be a clip that came from i, I believe it was like three months ago from beardson i think you made a, a video about this it was called the Beardson Cobra or something. 
And yes. basically, yeah, you, you remember where he basically... It's like saying, like, we've lost. There's no point in trying. There's no point in doing anything. Just give up. We lost. We should have sided with the SJWs and all this fucking shit. You know, and, and, and the reality is, I mean, that's true. You guys aren't going to fucking win. You fucking lost. So I, for me at this point, what I've come to the conclusion on is there really is no political solution. But Jesus Christ said our kingdom is not of this earth. So you need to focus on your own spiritual improvement and just living the best life you can. Mm -hmm. And if God wills that there be a political solution, then there might be one. But trusting in Nick Fuentes to deliver you or Richard Spencer or me mm -hmm. or anybody else is just a fool's errand. Mm. or wasting your time and you know there are i think there are a lot more fruitful pursuits in life than spending all day getting pissed off about joe biden and ranting at the news you know the news just fucks up your mind and makes you negative and depressed all the time now i am a political junkie but i think a lot of that has been fucked up for me because i'm such a political junkie you start to get such a black pilled outlook on life it's like holy fucking shit man you know uh, and sometimes you just need to take a step back and be like, well, you know, things aren't that fucking bad. You know, there's still opportunity to fucking go out there and start a family and build a life for yourself. And look, the society around you is diseased. It is decayed. There are a lot of flaws. But, you know, you can't fix all of those flaws. It's not within your power. But what is within your power is yourself, your life, and do the best that you can. Your family, the so, people around you. Uh... Wow, like PPP and Andy Worski have have turned into voices of wisdom and common sense. And you know, I I got I lost a lot of viewers when I was doing Twisted Mind from saying this. I was like too black pilled, where I was like, look, what I'm gonna focus on now is making money, working, working for myself, being around my family and friends, blah 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 blah. And it's like, and it's always like the same fucking thing. Defeatist attitude, defeatist attitude, defeatist attitude. Look, I've been on the, you know, the political. Okay, we've got a caller, Elliot Blatt. What's going down, bro? Yeah, oh, blessing, bro. Thanks, thanks for having me on, bro. Uh, hey, um, did you happen to catch the um, Medicare Ralph stream? No, I mean a recent one or one a month ago. Yeah, yesterday, yesterday, yesterday. Oh no, is it is it worth uh, checking out? It, it is worth, but boy, you got you. You need like a, a vomit bucket next to your, next to your computer, bro. It's it's hard to watch. Uh, Ralph has completely spiraled out of control. No, Ethan, <laughs> I Ethan mean, Ralph. We're talking Ethan Ralph. He's spiraled he's, out of control. No way. I mean, bro. But at a level that is, I, I I was thinking this morning that I'll be very surprised if he isn't a in prison or b having committed suicide within three years. He 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 does. He just seems so far out of touch that it, it's it's actually scary. Um, uh, it, it was hard. I mean, it was hard to watch. It was like uh, I was wondering if uh, there's nobody. He seems to have nobody close to him. They trust well enough to hear uh, a cautionary word from, right? He he just he literally seems at war at with everybody and everything around him. He seems completely besieged and completely out of touch with reality. Um, 
So, but if you haven't seen it, it's, it's just, it's hard to really discuss it, but. Uh, uh, when does it get it was, good? So I see a video for like a 70 minute clip. Does it get good right away? Um, it's kind of a slow burn. I don't recall. There's, I don't know if I, I haven't pulled out clips for you. Uh, maybe I should. I don't know if, uh, I mean, it, it's a fun watch, but I don't know. You know, there's so many just stomach turning events within this video that I, I was, um, I was taken aback. Um, because you never so, expected Ethan Ralph to be this dysfunctional. <laughs> well, obviously I did. I knew it was within him, obviously. Uh, but, uh, it was sort of like, uh, a, a sustained, just a level of sustained cringe. I've never seen so much cringe packed into such a short time period it was it was hard to watch and and the thing is i don't think he'd let, let's say you're right i don't think he'd be in this trouble if he wasn't doing a, a regular internet show successfully no right and that's whole part of the drama is like he yeah. needs that that sort of radically exaggerated personality that may have been an act in the beginning seems to have overtaken him. And now he's just living it. It's sort of the e-personality yeah. incarnate. That's what right? I'm thinking about. The dangers you of know, e-personality. I mean, it's been a favorite theme of mine for five years now. Yeah. And it was very, very shrewd of you to, per, per, to pick up on it really very early in the game. Um, I mean, you might've started feeling tinges of that. Uh, I, I mean, uh, I had it because I've been blogging for a living since 1997. So, yeah. So and, I, w- and, I was aware. Yeah. And so like, you know, I, I'm, I'm very attracted to this space, as you know, I mean, I call into show frequently and, you know, I've thought about, you know, creating a stream and so forth, but a part of me was just a little bit wary, but for a reason I couldn't quite put my finger on, you know, it just seemed like um, there seemed to be danger there, but I couldn't, even articulate what the danger was it's only through watching this story unfold over the years that i see it now you know well well, to to break it down here are the dangers when you go online you immediately uh tend to become more impulsive so you will buy things that you wouldn't (coughs) buy in real life you will say things that you wouldn't say in real life you will share things that you wouldn't that you wouldn't uh, share in real life. You will, you will go to a dark place more rapidly than, than you would, um, than you would in, in real life. So you become more, you become more impulsive. You, you naturally tend to have an exaggerated sense of your own capabilities because you're just talking and carrying on online and you're not getting that feedback from real life, which would, tell you hey you're you've lost you lost touch here uh so that happens we you, you tend to develop an outside need for admiration and you start thinking that you know anyone who criticizes you is is a jerk or, or worse so and, and you tend to become more morbid and uh yeah so those are the specific dangers of becoming an e-personality yeah and you know, uh, and you with 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 Ralph or Ethan, uh, you see basically every single thing that you've ticked off as being true, and then also with our friend Baked Alaska, who loves his cops 
and you know he loves our cops and our law enforcement but he's sort of on a similar trajectory that's not quite as you know grotesque as ralph's uh trajectory but it's pretty close it's yeah it's not far off either yeah yeah uh and they're both in legal trouble um and oh i i don't know how they could uh you know i you go through you watch them right and you feel a certain level of disgust and contempt for them but then after that clears you sort of feel a certain pity for them because you you want them to sort of see a path out of this and they just simply can't see it they don't you know there doesn't seem to be it would seem to take a divine you know an act of divine intervention to sort of have them climb out you know you want to people need a path backwards through you know they go into a cave and they need to figure they need they need someone to lead them back out once they're in the cave you know and i I like to feel like everybody's redeemable or can be redeemed but uh they seem to be teetering on a real precipice here and it's not rare that you like someone in real life, but you don't like them online. Like you get emails or you get DMs or you get, you're exposed to their every thought on social media. And then suddenly you, someone you were fond of, you now you just can't stand them. <laughs> that's, that's happened. Yeah. Many times. And I'm sure it's happened in reverse. I think there are people uh, that have blocked me and they think the absolute worst of me, you know, and all I had really done was expect, you know, expressed a, a, a contrary opinion. And through me expressing that opinion, they've sort of read in, read into me a bunch of darkness that I didn't think that I had. And, um, but me that, you know, the reverse is true. I, it sort of, it just sort of, the, the internet seems to bring people's id to the fore, you know, and, and, and lets them paste it directly in front of them so it's the first thing people encounter of them you know their unfiltered version and right i mean there there are things in my life if the first thing you knew about were these actual things that i've said and done you know 99 percent of people would want nothing to do with me and I, i think that's true for for a lot of people if you put certain things out there and that's the the first or, or primary exposure that people get very early on, because we're always we're always kind of seeking reasons to cut people off, to not go somewhere, to not you know put out an effort. Like our mind just naturally works that way. Like and give us give us any reason to cut someone off, and we naturally you know cut them off. It's like people have to keep you know meeting some 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 basic standards before we allow them to progress further into our life. Uh, yeah, that, that's all true. That's all true. Um, but uh, there are people like Medica who seem pretty sane, and and I got to say, the little I know of PPP, he sounds pretty sane. Uh, he is sane, but I don't know. Like I said, I told you last time we talked. Uh, I've been following him for like you know over two years, and he he's got some really weird stuff online. There's a certain like. Uh, like I don't know if you know his lore, but he has some pretty, pretty funny moments. Like once he uh, sat down on a live stream and and attempted to eat a hundred 
chicken McNuggets in succession, one after another, you know, which is just a tremendous <laughs> amount of junk food, right? Yeah. And he got to like 90 or 89 or some. We got really close. <laughs> threw up <laughs> just with the phone in hand. He just grabbed the phone and ran to the bathroom and threw up. <laughs> I mean, he, I mean, that's he's high a quality clown. entertainment. He's a clown and a showman at the same time, you know? And so, yeah, I think he's very funny. And do you know who Godwinson is? No. Okay, so Godwinson, I, he's been doxxed. I don't know his real name. But he's like part of like the English aristocracy. I mean, he's like very well-bred gentleman. But they were streaming partners, partners for, for, you know, a year and a half or so. And then Godwinson... Uh, and I wish I knew his real name, but now he's basically going to be part of the House of Lords or something. <laughs> 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 he's graduated from this sort of grotesque live streaming. <laughs> House of Lords. Uh, I have to do more digging about that because there's only been like you know oblique references online to this, but I don't know what position he's actually occupying, but he's um. Uh, you know, he's way up there in English society. So, yeah, it, it, it was some great content. Let's put that, let's put it that way. Wow. Mm. Wow. So, I don't know, Luke. I don't know. But, so, did, did Medica manage to talk any sense into Ralph? Well, you know, so it was Medica basically commenting on, so Ralph had put on this um, bowling event in Dallas, some IRL bowling event, and he grabbed, you know, all of his fans and um, but of course, a good number of trolls showed up, so basically, fights broke out, and there was just a lot of, of Ralph screaming obscenities at various people um, in the most grotesque and ugly way, and just it just was so unbecoming. It wasn't witty, Luke. It wasn't like, you know, in the old days, you know, you'd think of people in public having a, there was a certain reserve about them and they would sort of defend themselves with some sort of wit and panache and turn of phrase, which sort of won up their opponents. But this was just the most, you know, ugly ghetto profanity just being hurled around back and forth. It was so wow, I would not expect this from Ethan Ralph. <laughs> this no. is highly incongruous behavior. This I, is not who he is. No, I know, but which what I found so sad was that he seemed to just be so oblivious of how he appears to other people or people who are just you know normal people with sort of you know basic standards of decency just how abrasive and how atrocious he seemed. It's like, I don't know, you know, but for live streaming, I don't know how he could make a living in real life. And that's why if this live streaming income of him ever dries up, he is going to only be eligible for the most low level work in the society. Constitutional he, law professor. No, I'm afraid not. It's more like uh, chicken mcnugget dispenser you know maybe you'll become just, a judge yes you know the joke cyber is a judge oh, go ahead no what do you call the guy that finished last in his law school 
Oh, yeah, he's a... Oh, Judge, is that what you're going to say? Well, Your Honor. Your Honor. No, no, <laughs> what I heard is that the A students become uh, law professors, the B students become corporate lawyers, and the C and D students become contingency personal injury lawyers and make more than the other two combined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard, like, the, the C students get rich, <laughs> something like that, but yes. Right. Um, good old lawyer jokes. Uh, what what do you call the guy that finished last in his medical school? No idea. Doctor. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once you get into medical school, like once you get into Harvard, it, it, it's pretty hard to flunk out. <laughs> yeah, but there's there are people walking around, you know, with a sort of dubious distinction of having finished last. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think Michelle Obama did particularly well. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, did you see this video of Obama and Biden together in the same oh, gathering? Yeah, everyone's talking about that. Okay, I gotta look at it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll look it up. Uh, yeah, that Obama looks the... so sad. Oh, Biden. I mean, Biden looks so sad. Yeah, yeah. and Bob, Obama. Obama looks as though he's still the president. <laughs> You know, he looks like a complete rock star. And uh, uh, just <laughs> what insane times, what funny times. So, the other thing, what do you think about Elon's move? You think this is oh, gonna, I think uh, it's great. I mean, yeah, so, imagine he, he gets dominant control of Twitter. So, can you do that by you own 9% of the stock and you can suddenly start calling the shots? I don't know. I yeah. mean, not just with That's... 9%, but if you make coalitions, I mean, Elon Musk is a phenomenally competent person, so. Yeah. And I mean, he has a lot of, great? Cult... He has... oh, right? it'd be more than great. But Put I back Donald yeah. Trump and the good times. <laughs> I know, can you imagine that? People are already freaking out about this, and like a big part of like the left is idolizes um uh elon musk as well so that makes it all the more hysterical you know because you know the, the you know because elon musk is this apostle of electric cars and green energy and so forth i mean he's i mean i i have these you know liberal friends that i fight with all the time on facebook and they love elon musk but now they're throwing this monkey wrench <laughs> he's throwing this monkey wrench into their worldview and it's it's absolutely hysterical that <sighs> would be amazing if he got control of Twitter and started opening things up. Yeah. 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 So that's in the to be continued file. So anyway, uh, yeah, that's all I really got. Luke. Okay. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. All right. All right. Okay, man. All right bye. Take care. Right, Who's lower than him? Is your wife there to cook dinner for you or picking up your sloppy seconds on discord? Like usual daddy. No. Remember when you were obsessed over Ivy Clover and his relationship with Gl with Jade? Why don't you talk about that to the world, Jim? Yeah, it was pretty upsetting when they bought her all the items on her Amazon wish list. Oh, wait, I was mixing people up. That was you and Alice. Uh, don't worry, chat. These will all make a lot more sense as we go forward, but just roll with it. You married the e-whore instead. Lol, what an alpha. I should have followed your example and thumbed the asses of hookers instead. Christ is king. Chat, can I get a G? Can I get a G in chat for God's plan? 
right, we need to understand something here. Ethan Ralph is a deeply religious man. He leads a religious life, whether that's not taking care of his children, fucking hookers, going to prison repeatedly. <laughs> it's just engaging in degenerate gambling. Can we get a G for God's plan? I'm pretty sure that that's Jesus' message to the world. When I think good Christian morals, I think huffing shit out of hookers' asses. God's plan, everybody. Can I get that G? Thank you so much, chat. <laughs> Nobody else will even talk to this pussy. He's an embarrassment who pushed the COVID lockdown lies. He still refused to renounce it on air with me. He's a coward who's deeply afraid of death. Remember when you tried and cried on stream? <laughs> Laugh my ass off. I do. Seems our little hog has a bit of memory loss. Guess it's all those shaky, shaky pills. Do I have my pill bottle on me, Ralph? Oh, I always come loaded with a pill bottle when I'm talking about my dear old hoggish son. Oh, <laughs> Oh, this could be fun night. Except that never happened. Kind of like your tweets tonight, which I, I've sat and thought, and like I've read over that a few times. I don't know what the fuck that really means. I guess that's, is that like wet brain alcoholism? You're Kind of like your tweets didn't happen tonight. I'm reading the tweets. He's responded to them. What do you mean, kind of, never happened like your tweets tonight? I mean, I'm sure there's something clever in there. Maybe he's arguing with a fictitious person on my Twitter, you know, Twitter account. I don't know. Cops threw no one out. They investigated bomb threats from your fans. Uh-oh. Then they laughed. Every single one of them shook my hand. You pussies can't shut shit down. It did happen. Live on Monday, Matt's channel. Don't you remember you were drunk like always? It was right before you ran away from Matt in terror. Ran like a little bitch. Imagine being a loser shut-in. Who's afraid of people sneezing on him? Imagine locking down the whole country and giving away our civil rights forever because you're afraid of catching a cold? You're pathetic and scared old man. Imagine filming your incredibly small dick on camera as you smell shit from a woman's ass, and then turning around to tell your audience to donate for your Christian morals. It's right around this time that uh, my boy, my rage hog, my hollering piggy, uh, got a little angry, stopped responding. I'm not sure what exactly it was I was putting out there that made him upset. You know, just factual tweets, really, discussing things. Based on the images coming from his amazing bowling event. By the way, this is about Ethan Rouse's bowling event, the Kingpin... The Killstream Kingpin Invitational? Oh, it was a it was an amazing night. Star-studded, with lots of activities and satisfied guests. Made a lot of money. Wasn't embarrassing at all. Stupid things didn't happen at all. It went really, really well for Ralph. He was doing so good, you guys. The Rage Pig was doing so good. What happened? Now, being Ethan, I'm, I'm used to what happens next. Of course, once Ralph starts tweeting you in a, a seething rage... As he's just a pissing and a shitting and a coming in anger. You know what's coming next. He's pulling out that thesaurus, his dictionary, looking up at the degree on his wall, his bachelor's that he actually didn't ever get. Then he's writing a blog post about you. Of course, I tried to cut him off at the pass a little bit here. Curse you, cancer man. From April 3rd, 2022. I'm a hollering mad, god dang it. And I tell you what, I won't be silent no more. As an award-winning bowler champion of the Killstream Kingpin Invitational, I've led a life of many accomplishments. Not many men have sniffed as many asses as I have, and with those whiffs came knowledge. It's like my daddy always used to say, nose and shit can't ever quit. And that's who I am, a man that doesn't stop. Sweet! Of course, the article I was waiting for still hasn't come yet. Now, maybe that's because Ethan Ralph is on the road. <laughs> Probably literally, because he's drunk driving his way across the country as we speak. That's an allegation. Well, it's more of a statement, really. He's probably slamming into light poles. <laughs> He's probably hitting every light pole on his way from fucking Houston all the way on down to Richmond. You want to track him on a map, you don't need GPS. Just look for damage to fire hydrants and light poles. That's how you know the direction Ethan Ralph drove. So maybe he's busy on the road. He can't really get around. 
to writing those award-winning articles that he's so used to doing. I'm not sure, but sure what Ralph is up to at the moment, aside from his seething hatred. You know, so people out there covering the event. This is a beautiful story from the uh, World Herald. Memphis man with Down Center Bulls. Perfect game. <laughs> you can see Ralph's eyes looking in different directions. I never knew Ralph was such a Mersh super fan. I mean, I'm just surprised that, like, he'd take it to this level. I have people that are fans of my content. Usually they buy a hat. Okay, let's get a little bit more here from... Mr. Medica. You know, put on a headphone, and that's, like, their cosplay. But Ralph went the extra mile. He gave himself brain damage so his eyes actually cross. So now when Ralph is scanning the room, he's doing it like a gecko would. It's like a little lizard man. Okay, let's get a little bit more here from PPP. It might be the total end of a free society, but you fucking facing responsibility for your retarded actions isn't the total end of a free society. Well, I mean, and it's like the federal agency that he's working for that's leading to the total end of a free society. Well, he's contributing <laughs> to it by working for the feds. You know. And we're going to see the total vindication of Patrick Casey in this. I put in the title, like, confessing his guilt and his lies, because he is. He's confessing his guilt and his lies, and we're going to go through it. When he now claims he knew he was under investigation and his bank account was frozen, which was in the, on the 25th of January, versus his killstream appearance on the 12th of February, where he lies to every groiper, to every single person in the movement's faces about the security of AFPAC2, that his accounts were, were, weren't frozen. It was only a half-truth. He wasn't under investigation to his knowledge. In this, he'll just outright confess it, because it's been six months. So in his mind, you know, his audience is fucking 12 years old. They don't even remember yesterday, let alone six fucking months ago. And they're fucking Adderall-fueled fucking Zoomer ADHD minds. They can't even fucking grasp time anymore, okay? So he's just hoping that they'll forget about that fucking shit, but we will go through it. But anyway, this is it's just the total end of a free society. Okay, Nick, you know, it's not the total end of a free society that you're getting fucking shafted, bro. Sorry to say, if you weren't such a fucking retard, this wouldn't happen to you. But when you put fucking Judas snakes like fucking Beardson in your organization, fucking known feds like Baked Alaska, fucking people like Patrick Casey, who even though he's vindicated here, I think he had some dirty fucking shit happen in Identity Europa. You fucking surround yourself with this fucking snake pit of people, and then you expect that you're not going to end up a fed? Like, come on. Fucking Mummy Michelle and fucking Laura Loomer in the fucking organization? Some of the finest people in the movement are Jewish, but you can trust me, guys. Trust me with your financial details. Trust me with your docs. I'm not under investigation. My account's not frozen. Oh, wait, it was. You know, this is where we're at. This is fucking disgusting. Fuck. Let's continue. We're like fucking zero seconds in. America First Film Studio. You guys think America First Film Studio is ever going to rival Hollywood? Is it going to bring us massive big budget productions? The next fucking big action adventure film from America First Film Studios. They're going to take down the Hollywood establishment through independent <laughs> film. Like the fucking well, balls. The balls. It's America First Steve Film Bunch. Studio. This is like fucking James Rolfe or Doug Walker claiming they run a fucking movie studio or something. Like... Who is it? Like two interns and the road dog Jaden is the fucking film studio? 
Give me a fucking well, break. James Rolfe and Doug Walker never worked with the BBC, did they? I, they probably did, actually. <laughs> I'm little nipples. I was on the student council. <laughs> well, look, sorry, Randall Weems, you snitch FBI fed motherfucker. We don't accept you as the leader of fucking anything. You're a Mexican child. Come back when your fucking balls have dropped, son. Come back when there's hair on your fucking pubes. You have some fucking experience. Like, fucking sad. Fuck. When I was a little kid, ever since I was in middle school. So, like, here we're getting, like, the photos of, like, him as a child and him in high school. Like, all school photos and stuff like this. To give the appearance that he's young. There's still time for him to be turned around, conservative establishment. Ben Shapiro, are you listening? Please, please give me a job, Ben. I, I can't make any fucking money or whatever. I need to be rehabilitated. I'm willing to sell out. This is what these images are for. They're to show him as young and immature. I started to realize that there would be consequences for my views almost immediately. I started. Well, of course, there are going to be consequences for your fucking views. There are always going to be consequences for your views. Always. There are some people that are going to hate you. If you're outspoken, it doesn't matter what it is. Now, you chose to go into the type of politics that have the most consequences. And you fucking knew. You weren't a fucking dummy. You knew that being on the dissident right leads to you getting fucking persecuted, getting fucking shafted. You knew the game before you started to fucking play, okay? And you've kept playing the last four years because it was profitable. The only thing you're crying out now is because you're not getting the same fucking money. You're not getting the same donations coming in. So you cry out in pain, oh, Eve, now I'm facing these consequences I didn't know. Be a man. Be a well, man. Most people learn about consequences as a concept in their late teens, right? So it does also add to the childlike character that you're talking about that he's trying to Yeah. Play, right? So I don't even know. I didn't have no idea there would be consequences. Bullshit, motherfucker. Well, Everybody just knows. Learning about consequences. Everybody knows if you go around <laughs> you your know? university saying that if white and black people were to have sex, it's like bestiality, you're probably going to offend some people and you might get kicked out. So maybe while you're at Boston University, you put your head down and you shut your fucking mouth. Or you face the consequences of it like a fucking man and you don't bitch and complain. But well, you knew. You knew what the consequences would be. So what do you cry about now? This is why Sam Hyde like talked about like outcome independence in that video. That's a really good video, the uh, outcome independence one. And that's really it, right? Like you can't cry about consequences. You need to be outcome independent, sort of be in control of these things, you know, have control over your own personal life views. It's not actions, to say it's right. Regardless whether you get kicked it's out not of to say he's not, right. right. It was right to kick him out of school or to shut off his payment processors or any of that fucking shit. But that's what you have to expect. It's like me fucking cry I, my channel gets banned it's to be expected fuck it <laughs> sucks it. look at this he's got like a kanye west poster on his fucking wall like he's got all these books there's his cookie monster for fuck's sake there's the groiper doll up there fucking crucifix oh, oh, uh, this larp crucifix do you know what I mean? The guy doesn't He's go got to church. Like his trophy from the debate club. Yeah, he has his like he has his like debate club trophy and shit like that. His student council president trophy or whatever. 
and his crucifix. The guy has never went to church. I don't even think he's gone one time in the entire time he's run America well, First. He would tell us. It's a, literally across the street from his house, folks. <laughs> but he can't be up before noon to go to church. Now, the Catholic Church across from his house offers evening services. So there's no excuse as to why he's not at Mass, okay? But it's a fucking pathetic man. It's a man-child. It's a LARPer. He'll sit there, cross this king, cross this king. Well, you go to church? Oh, no. Oh, okay. But you tell everybody else they should go to church on Sunday, that they shouldn't, they should abstain from meat on Fridays, that they should follow every Catholic dogma and tradition, but you can't even be bothered to partake of the Eucharist on Sunday? Area around YouTube for so long. And, you know, I really did try to make a change when I was like doing the war ski videos. I really did try to make a change. And what I got out of it was not only the left hating me, but conservatives hating me, thinking I'm not like, I'm not exactly like them. I lost all my money. I started doing drugs. I was in a relationship that was not mentally great for me. I lost everything. And you know, it's part, partly my fault for sure, but also I'm not going to join a group of people and like defend them and be part of them and try to like, and like radicalize a new generation because right now it's about, it's, I'm sorry to say it's self-preservation at a certain point. At a certain point, I hit a point where even conservatives and conservatives now, by the way, were like, oh, so you're going to stop talking about politics that much and this and that and the other when these are the same people who were like literally talked mad shit about me. I got well, more shit from the conservatives, you know, actually, to be honest. Somebody read Redmond Barry goes, you lost the right when you and JF split. I'd say to you, does JF have the right? Is JF a real intellectual leader of conservative thought? No, he's not. JF's a completely irrelevant fucking joke on a ghetto platform. He's not going to do anything. Um, and nor, no. nor did I want and, to. You know what I mean? Like, and and here's the thing to. also. Here's the thing also, man. Your, your mind is trapped in this binary about left and right. Like, stop thinking about what's left and what's right. Like, not just every policy that's in the GOP platform is, is good. Not every policy that's in the Democratic platform or the liberal platform is bad. Why don't you try having some fucking nuance instead of blindly being on one team or the other team? No, well, I, I just, well, I just don't get it. It's just retarded. Well, that's the crazy thing is, say you're a conservative and you got a viewership that's conservative and blah blah blah, but you have one thought that's a leftist thought, like one thing, whatever it be, whatever it be, like be a drug use or abortion or whatever, or, or just whatever the, the that entire group will disassociate from you, and they'll berate you and try to destroy you. And that's why a lot of these people, you'll hear, they'll be on these conservative or liberal, you know, idea mindsets and what they preach. But then when you find out about their like skeletons in their closet, it's against that exact policy or exact mindset. You want to know why? Because, and that's where the term grifter comes in. A lot of these people who are conservative, you hear them, like you hear about the private stories and I've heard many, trust me, I know a lot of big conservatives who I, when I was big, and I'm not going to name any names, but they do drugs. They've cheated on their wives. And they preach like if you do this. So that was the eye opener. It was during my my coke, my like really bad spiral, where I was meeting with a lot of conservatives and like learning about what was actually like going on in these big circles. And I was going, wait, so it's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. And it sort of like really pissed me off. And why I sort I mean, of like was like know, I can't handle it anymore. You know. I'll tell you this lockdown 2019. Is this chat stuck in 2019? And in a lot of ways, I think people are stuck in 2019. Yeah. When I watched Jim on. Uh, 
you know, the show with Gator today, I felt like he was stuck in like 2018, 2019. A lot of people are just stuck and trapped in that mentality. And if you haven't been changed by the years 2020, 2021, that are the most transformative, upshaking years that I think we'll see in our lifetime. We'll look back on these years as being perhaps even more transformative than 2001 and, and you know 9/11 and things like that. If you haven't been changed and your perspective changed by that from a left-right dichotomy into uh, you know elite versus the people mentality, mm. I think you're fucked. You're fucked. You're completely fucked. Like the reality is, there's an elite class. They've been elite for a really long time, for longer than any of us have been alive. Their children and their children's children will continue to be elite long after we are dead. They are the enemy of us who are the common poor people who have fucking nothing. If you're still trapped in a mindset of it's the trannies who are the problem, it's the pink haired feminists who are the problem, you're a fucking idiot. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing for guys on the left. It's the Nazis who are the problem and those racists. That is what the elite wants you to do. They want you to fight between yourselves. And you fucking idiots play right into it every day. Culture war, culture war, culture war, news, news, news. Until you're so fucked up and mentally paralyzed and in a delusional alternate reality that you are no longer an effective human being. So anyway. And you're basically a pawn. You're the pawn in that you side. Are the pawn. You are the pawn. You are the worker for them to extract value from. If you don't see that because you're a rightist and you're based capitalism, you are a fucking fool. You're yeah. a fool. You think working some minimum wage job makes you a fucking winner? Really? Fucking real, dude. They're fucking exploiting you. But my capitalist Protestant work ethic. Come on. And where does that get you? Where does that get you? Where did like where did it get me? Where did it get anyone on the right? Where did it get anywhere like anyone on the left? It's literally a joke. Everything this black and white, there's no nuance bullshit. You know, but Varg's here saying like name the Jays. How many times have you watched this channel? Shut the fuck up talking about naming the Jays. You know what? There's a lot of people in that elite class who aren't Jewish. Also, you fucking retard. Yeah, there is a lot of Jewish people in the elite class, but there are also some people who aren't fucking Jewish. Like, wake up. Come to fucking reality, pal. And that's the that thing. That take is insane. You're denying the reality of Jewish. Da, 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 da. Yeah, Jewish culture leads to some fucked up shit. The religion is wrong because they reject Christ, the chief cornerstone. Mm -hmm. like, I don't know. I'm just not going to have a fucking retarded political position where I say, you know what? I'm a conservative. I'm a liberal. That's not what I'm going to do anymore. I'm going to look at the issues as they are. Do they benefit me? Do they benefit my family? Do they benefit my people? And go from there. I look at my politics now like I look at a buffet at Mandarin. What do I want? Does that look good? Does that, look, that looks bad. I, I fill the plate up. Okay, that's going to do it. Take care. Bye-bye.